Good morning. All right. Um, my name is Dana, and uh, I'm so glad to be with you here this morning. Um, we are talking about uh, Extraordinary Lives. That's the series that we're in. This is the second week of that series, and um, it was inspired by a quote from the former president of Regent College who said, sometimes the most radical thing you can do is live an ordinary Christian life. And so we're looking to the book of James for direction uh, because James is a letter that was written intentionally to teach or coach first century Christians on living a life that was surrendered to Jesus. And I think it's interesting that this guy James like what it is he chooses to talk about. Um, Because he doesn't address politics or Christian schools or dancing or drinking or music or any of the things that we sometimes think will help um, identify us as believers. Instead, he focuses on four basic things and tough things, actually. How we handle suffering, how we deal with money, how we speak to other people, and then finally, integrity, which is how our words and our actions line up with each other. Those are the things that are supposed to really identify us as Christians. And so this week, we're going to talk about money. You feel uncomfortable? All right. Well, money is kind of a hard topic, isn't it? We don't talk about money a lot. Although, when I was looking for pictures, we do have a lot of beautiful money in Canada. Rarely are all the colors in my wallet at the same time. Um, Whether you don't have enough money or you have way more than you need, we don't talk about it very often. We tend to keep that private. But Jesus tells us clearly In scripture, you can't serve God and money. You can't have two masters at the same time. And so if you're a Christian, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, you have to demonstrate that through your finances. So we're going to dig into James and see what kind of advice he has for us. Start with uh, James chapter 1, verses 9 to 11, which says, Let the believer who is lowly boast in being raised up, And the rich in being brought low, because the rich will disappear like a flower in the field. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the field. Its flower fails, its beauty perishes. It is the same way with the rich. In the midst of a busy life, they'll wither away. So right at the very beginning of his book, James is telling us how we should think about wealth, right? He talks about it like a flower in a hot field. Wealth is just not as secure as we think it is. I've, I mean, I've been, I know everybody has, I've been watching some of the uh, controversy between BC and Alberta right now about the pipeline deal. And no matter which way you fall on that issue, what it's been raising for me is how fragile um, wealth and work is. Right? Like every time I hear that story, I think, oh man, people's jobs depend on this decision in both directions. In almost any sector, 
You can have a great job one day, and then either a new company comes in or a new government comes to power with new priorities, and it's gone. It just dries up. Wealth is fleeting. And so James tells us, what he's saying is, believers should not boast in how much money they have. We shouldn't let that determine our pride or our security. No matter what our financial situation is, we need to remember how easily wealth disappears and boast instead in the work of Jesus. In chapter 2, James comes at money from a slightly different angle, and he says, My brothers and sisters, do you, with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? For if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and if a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please, while to the one who's poor you say, stand there or sit at my feet, have you not made distinctions among yourselves? If you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Well, I've heard this um, a lot, and I always think of this uh, scene being in a church, right? If somebody who's dressed very nicely comes into your church and you give them a better seat, that's what we think. But it turns out this isn't really about that. It's, this scene is a, it's a, a church court. They would hold court where believers would come to settle disputes that had arisen among themselves. They didn't go into the courts in the land. And favoritism by the judges was so common that they had all these, um, like all these funny little rules and laws in place to help counteract favoritism. So um, if a rich person and a poor person had a dispute arise between them and they were going to go to this court, the rich person was required by law to buy new clothes for the poor person. Or the rich person had to dress themselves in dirty clothes so that when they got into court, they would look the same to the judge. Isn't that interesting and weird? <laughs> right? So strange. And we don't really have church in, or court in church very often anymore, but if we did, that would be so funny. But it, it really helps us understand it's hard to avoid judging people based on appearances, isn't it? I mean, even the faces that we have highlighted here on the screens, it's hard not to judge them, isn't it? Which person would you rather do business with? Who would you rather have look after your children? Which person appears more honest to you? My friend uh, Dan Riley is an OBGYN in Ontario, and, uh, and he teaches medical ethics at McMaster University. And so when I was working with med students, Dan was often a speaker at our conferences, and um, he would tell medical students all the time, he'd say the same thing, listen, as soon as you become a doctor, you are going to be asked to join all kinds of committees and boards, especially at your church. Because people assume that if you have money, you must be responsible and trustworthy, even though your income has absolutely nothing to do with your character. 
And he would go on. He was such a great speaker. He would go on to challenge these young people to develop excellent character right now so that they would be ready to carry the responsibility that was going to be asked of them. It was a great talk. And I think that what that means is that the thing going on in Scripture in these courthouses is still going on today. We tend to think better of people who are wealthy. And we attribute virtues to them like hardworking and competent and trustworthy and wise. We tend to value their ideas more highly than someone who has less money, even though they're not necessarily related. And it can get slippery in a situation where you depend on donations, right, like all churches do. You can imagine how easy it might be for church leaders to favor the opinion of someone who has the capacity to make a large donation. Or how easy it would be to cater to someone who could pull their substantial support if they weren't happy. It's one of the reasons I respect so much uh, Tom's decision that none of the staff at the church uh, know or see anyone's giving records. We have no idea what you give or if you give. It helps us maintain clear perspective. It helps us value and treat everyone equally, which is what James is saying. You have to stop making distinctions between people. You have to stop showing partiality. But then it goes even further than that. It's not just treat everyone equally. He says, if a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? If we want to be faithful with our money, we need to consider concrete ways we can help each other. We need actions not just blessings and prayers. We actually live, I think, in an incredible town when it comes to supply and needs for people. Really incredible. I'm part of the Ministerial Association, which is like a gathering of um, pastors and clergy from a bunch of churches. And most of what we do is uh, give away money from a benevolence fund to help people who just need a little extra cash to make life work, you know, an electricity bill that got out of hand or a damage deposit for a new place or travel expenses for a medical appointment, we can help with those things. Or think about Gleaners. Did you know that Gleaners and Friends has an emergency response program so that if someone's in a crisis situation, Gleaners and Friends will make an emergency food delivery anytime. And I've had the privilege of being at the church and getting the phone calls after someone got that delivery. And people always say, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. I mean, they brought so much food. But more than that, when they came to my door, they were so wonderful. They kept saying, don't be embarrassed about this. Everybody has seasons where they need help. This is what we're here for. We're glad to do it. People are so happy, so thankful. My friend Dan, who I was telling you about before, he... he um knew a woman at his church who was, she was about to be evicted from her house because her landlord was selling the property. It was a normal reason. 
but she was totally distraught because she had moved so many times, and it's expensive to move, not to mention uh, stressful, right? And so um, Dan went to the bank to see what he could figure out, and he said, when he was telling me the story, he said, you know, when the bank sees MD behind your name, they'll give you 17 mortgages if you ask for them because they know you're a good bet. And so he bought her house. He just bought her house, the, the house that she was renting, because she could not do anything to stabilize her housing situation. But he could. And so he rents it to make sure she has a home, not to make money off the property, and she can live there as long as she wants. I heard that story like 10 years ago, and I have never forgotten it because it's such a concrete example of taking action to love your neighbor, right? Instead of just hoping that that situation would work out, he knew that he had the capacity to make a difference, and he did it. In chapter 4 of this book, James speaks directly to Christians who are wealthy. And he says, come, you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a town and we'll spend a year there doing business and making money. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills it, we will live and do this or that. Sometimes we think that text means we should never make any plans. We should just let the Lord direct everything. But James is speaking to Christian business owners. And he's saying, you need to stop doing business the way everyone else does business. Because going to another country and spending a year there to, you know, to do commerce, engage in commerce and make money, that was a totally normal practice. And so these people who he's talking to, they're not doing anything wrong. They're not sinning. They're just being normal. They're not cheating anyone. But being normal, that's not the call on their or our lives as followers of Jesus. Instead, James says, ask God what you should do with your money. Submit it to him. Maybe there's an investment he wants you to make that benefits someone else like my friend Dan. Maybe there's a particular place he wants you to settle so that you contribute to the local economy. Someone he wants you to hire in particular, a partnership he wants you to build. The call is to submit your business practices to him, even if they don't make you the most money. The final thing that James says about money is this very clear corrective to those who were exploiting workers. So this is one step further. It's not just normal practices. They're actually being, they're actually exploiting. And he says, your gold and silver have rusted and their rust will be evidence against you and it will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure for the last days, but listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. It should go without saying, right? But it doesn't always. Don't hoard your money. Don't hoard it. It doesn't mean don't save for retirement or don't be responsible with your investments. Absolutely, we have to do that. 
But this is talking about stockpiling money to the point where it's rusting. It's just sitting unused for so long it's going to waste. And what's worse, that money is being stockpiled while the wages of the workers are being withheld. And so if you're a business owner, listen, don't shortchange your workers. Don't hold back their wages. And everyone, all of us need to hear this. Don't hoard money. Don't stockpile it somewhere. I'm going to tell you one more story about Dan. Um, Med students are an interesting group to be with because it's the only time when you're talking to a whole group and you know every person in that group in a fairly short amount of time are going to be making substantial amounts of money. That's just their reality. And so Dan would always give this talk about money to these students. And he said, you need to decide right now how you're going to handle your money. Choose now how you're going to steward it while you don't have any. And make your plans now while you don't have any money. Because it is way harder to make good decisions when it's pouring into your bank account. You will absolutely default to spending it. And that is not the best that God has for you. And so he would encourage all of us in the room to figure out, to decide on a standard of living that was comfortable and sustainable and modest. And then to figure out how much money is reasonably required for that kind of life. And to include like saving for retirement and being responsible and holidays and whatever else. But decide how much money was needed and then commit to giving the rest of your income away, all of it, no matter how many raises you got over your career, to stick to your decided-upon lifestyle. Because, he said, it is irresponsible for a Christian to keep raising their standard of living indefinitely. You guys, tithing, which is to give 10% of your income, is not biblical If you're making so much money that 90% of your income is way more than you need. So Dan always told us, you have to live modestly and give the rest away. Now I want to be clear about a couple of things. The first thing is, I really do understand that not every doctor makes scads of money, right? I have all these examples because that's where my excellent teaching came from, but I know that. The other thing is, I know that there are a lot of different perspectives on how to be faithful with your money and lots of different ways, and Dan's advice might seem extreme and radical. That's kind of why I like it, right? I think that usually we get so used to the status quo, we forget that we are called to live radically transformed lives in all areas including this one. We don't need to be irresponsible, absolutely not. But we should certainly be extreme. We should be creative. We should absolutely do things that will only ever make sense in an upside-down kingdom that is submitted completely to God. And part of the reason I like telling stories about Dan is because he is such a good example of that, and we need good examples. 
it's hard to imagine what we could do, to think of things to do when we've not seen people around us do it. Uh, so, as promised, every week in this series, I'm going to be interviewing some people from the congregation. Because of that, it helps us to hear each other's stories. It helps us to know what's going on. It sparks imagination for our own lives. So, Carmen and Steve Henderson have agreed to let me interview them today, reluctantly, so you can pray for them as they're coming up right now. Hello. Welcome. go. These guys have been really good friends to me since I moved here and an excellent example in in a lot of areas. Uh, but today we're going to stay on topic and we're going to I'm going to ask them about money. All right. Hey. Hi. Okay. So, uh the scripture that we're looking at part of it today uh, cautions us not to distinguish between the rich and the poor, not to attach our self-worth to money. And I know that that's something that you two have thought a lot about. So would you tell us a little bit about your story? Sure. We uh, got married in 1989, and uh, we got married in Dawson Creek. And uh, after we got married, we moved directly from Dawson Creek up to Vernon, B.C., and uh, we started working in orchards, and we started working at a hotel there. It was the best Western Vernon Lodge, and we worked in the catering. I worked as a bellman in security. And for us, we started off as a young married couple, and we had no income. Like, I had nothing when I first met Carmen. And uh, we just... Yeah. <laughs> you didn't go to medical school? <laughs> no, no, we did not. No. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So, so we... We did a lot of, um, with the orchards, we did fruit picking, and it was great because we were able to we were able to get a lot of stuff that they had for seconds and things that they didn't want to use. So we were able to take those home with us. It was great because it really helped because we got low income because of that, and that was and that was okay. And then we worked at the Vernon Lodge, and every time we did the catering, we would actually, like, we were a part of um, serving. And then at the end of the service, like after we finished serving the meals, we were able to eat afterwards as well too. So it was good that way. Um, well, we just we just learned to be resourceful right from the beginning. Yeah. I mean, we were kind of resourceful before that, but it was it wasn't about the money. It wasn't about how much we were making. You know, we always had enough for our four hundred dollars a month rent. Right. And you know, our friends. He had rich friends, poor friends. Nobody talked about money. So yeah. you know, everybody felt like they were equals. And then three years after married, we had the twins, and people were just were so generous, right? Garbage bags full of clothes, and people wanted to help us hold the babies and yeah. do stuff. And we weren't very good at <laughs> accepting help, but we had to <laughs> learn to accept help. Yeah. Yeah. So we, you know, we spent those, you know, we had four babies in five years, and we just had to accept help, and we, you know, just, you know, ha- always had just enough. Yeah. It was good because when when we started uh, looking at we lived in the Okanagan area for about uh, five to six years. Ten years. <laughs> what she said, ten years. Went fast, though. <laughs> Sorry. We didn't rehearse that one. And uh, so we, we decided that we wanted to move to Alberta. And uh, Carmen's parents, Dave and Fran, uh, they helped us a lot, uh, especially when it came to buying our, our first home. 
I think when Halfers with us, so it was good. And then we were able to move to um, Alberta, and I started working on on drilling rigs and different things like that. So of course that was very seasonal there again. So we've learned to just really um, work when we could, and then when it wasn't time to work, we learned how to save yeah. our money. And uh, we were able to, at that time when I started working on drilling rigs, we started making more money. And with that, we started sponsoring children. We, st we have five sponsor kids. Uh, four of them are in, in Africa. Africa, and then one is in... Um, Mexico. Thank you. And through the, so we've we've had them for 15 years now. Wow. And we've never ever once well we've you know we've talked about <laughs> getting rid of them. It's like no we can't you yeah. know that's not a something we're gonna do. We can give up our ice cream and a coffee for season, but we can't give up the sponsor kids. Right. Yeah. And, and it was interesting because um, one of the one of the kids or one of the ladies that was in the program, uh, Home of Hope, uh, she was expecting a child. And it was interesting because they contacted us, hmm. and they said to us, um, "She's going to have a child, and we want you hmm. guys to name her." Oh wow! So that was a big responsibility. So we were able to name her, and um, yeah. you know, likely we'll never say we can't sponsor her because you know, she's <laughs> part of our family. Yeah, you feel very yeah. connected. Yeah. Okay. All right. Oh, great. Um, I know there was a season the last couple of years, Steve, where you weren't working partly because of a head injury, right? Um, what was that season like for you guys? In, uh, well, we moved, we moved here to uh, Creston in 2014, and uh, we rented for a little while. Our house, David and Fran, stayed in Alberta, and they continued to watch over our house, and we were selling it. We sold our house that the day that we sold our house, this house that we're at right now came oh. on the market. Oh, wow. And we were able to go there, the, go there the next day and we put an offer on it and they accepted it. So we were there for about three months. We had the mortgage. We thought things were going good. And then um, November 1st of 2014, um, I was in a truck accident and yeah, I was off for. 27 months, and uh, you know it um, makes you appreciate um, the food and the things that we were given uh, through that time. Friends that are here for the church that we were going to yeah. can't name any names because it just takes forever. <laughs> but there's so many people yeah. here within this church now that were there to support us, and um, we just you know. What do you say? I mean, it was just such an amazing time. And because we had our home with our garden and our fruit trees and our yeah. chickens and our eggs, we learned how to barter, how to trade. Yeah. And so, you know, when people would give us things, bring us meals, you know, the church we were at at the time, they did a fundraiser for us. And, you know, so people were always giving. Um, but we were able to give back, say, hey, here's a dozen eggs. So yeah. people got kind of tired of our eggs. But, you know, <laughs> we learned how to yeah. almost buy no groceries and to be able to give back at the same time. Yeah. Actually, that's one of the things that um, I, like I've always appreciated about both of you. Since I've known you through that whole season, you've been so generous. Right? Like I, I remember being at the hampers watching Steve serve all day with, 
with your kids, with your boys, and then and then being glad to to take hampers home with you at the end of the day. Or I know now because it took me a long time to figure it out that it was Carmen who made sure my cupboards were stocked when I uh, when I arrived here. Um, it really does seem like you've learned a lot about generosity. What else has God taught you? What else have you learned from your experiences? So, well, giving always makes you feel better than receiving. Huh. We never really like to receive, although we appreciate it, and it's always exciting to get, you know, get things. But uh, it does, you know, just like with our kids at Christmas, we love to watch them give gifts. Like yeah. it's, you know, we don't care that we don't get much. It's like it's all about, you know, making someone else happy. Um, I was raised in a family where my parents were very generous and gave pretty much everything for their kids. And even now they spend all their time, (laughs) basically. (laughs) You know, they're 24 hours a day. They're at a place working on the yard, feeding their animals, feeding the barn cats, making Mm. sure they don't go hungry, feeding our kids, driving them. You know, like we couldn't survive without that. So we, so, and we do the same for our kids. But we're also trying to teach (coughs) our kids that, giving to others, you know, that we're on this earth for one reason, to help other people learn about God and learn about Jesus. Um, so it's not about how much you accumulate. And right. if you're doing what God wants you to do, he'll make sure you have enough. We have, you know, we don't have savings or investments, but we also don't have credit card debt. Yeah. We just kind of float along and um, right. we go from, you know, we're able, God's given us favor with, you know, buying homes and selling and, you know, having enough to for whatever we need but yeah. so as far as yeah generosity you can't give too much because you'll always huh. you'll always have enough very good i wanted to ask you how have these experiences shaped your relationship with god well being able to um uh, be in a situation that we have with such seasonal jobs that we've had and you know not focused on how much stuff we can get when the times are good like right now again I'm working in a job that's seasonal so now I'm laid off because of you know the uh, the weather so oh. but you know what we have amazing fruits and vegetables and and we've got we can sell um, mm-hmm. some of our fruits that like fruit trees or fruit yeah. stuff that we have we can sell those things and we can make money you know, we're selling stuff right now to get ready for our next season in life. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's being able to do this right now and look back and say, okay, this is what has happened in our lives over the years and just really appreciate what God has given to us and know that every time things looked dark or looked like it wasn't going to be a good situation, God has always provided for us. So mm-hmm. it's, that's helped us to get closer to him yeah. and our kids especially for them to be able to see yeah. what we're going through and then know that it's time for them to rely on God. You know, so. mm. Yeah, when you look back, it's when you see what what God's done. Huh. Right? We always look back and go, whoa, the timing for that was like, that had to be God. Yeah, yeah. So it, al- it always works that way. Okay, thanks, Chris. Well, uh, as we're wrapping up our interview, what would you like to say to... Uh, well, to say to all of us, like, what would you say to someone who's struggling financially, or what would you say to someone who has more than enough money? So I have a couple examples, um, one of each. Uh, when we were, you know, left Vernon, went to West Kelowna, we were in subsidized housing. Stephen had just got his maiden citizenship, and we were amazingly be able to get this brand new four-bedroom huh. townhouse for like two hundred bucks a month, and it, w- it was like a, just another God thing. And Stephen went back to school, did upgrading, 
And so we wanted to do something, but we had like zero money. So the church we were at, we asked the pastor if we could run a clothing bank out of our home. So we yeah. set up shelves downstairs. This the church bought us bins, and we w- we had you know we you know the church would bring in two to three garbage bags of clothes, toys, toiletries, whatever a week. And I'd take wow. them home. I had three babies at the time, and we'd just sit in the basement and sort clothes and wash clothes and. And, you know, we would open it up to people in the church. Most people in the church didn't want to wear each other's clothes. But we also lived in native housing, and so we were able to say, hey, come over, get clothes. So they did that, and then we would contact missionaries through our church. And at one point, we bought stuff, 200 pounds of clothes, and sent it to Africa. And it was just so something we could do for no money, sitting in my basement, because I was totally stuck in my house, right? Yeah. And uh, at the same time, we were able to clothe our family. So it was kind of a real benefit that way. So you don't have to have money to do that kind of thing. Hmm. Um, And then a few years later when we were in in Red Deer and we had a little bit more, we, you know, I like to shop too. We'd go to Walmart (laughs) and they'd have like all the boys' shorts for a dollar a pair. So we would just clean them out. Or we'd go to Staples when they had their door (laughs) crashers, right? 12 cents for a pack of pencils. or And we would just stock up and we'd buy our our limit and go to our church who sponsors uh, or feeds about 10,000 orphans. And, and so they had missionaries going all the time, right, and groups huh. from the church. And so we, they'd, be, they'd be like, oh, there they are again. And we would come in with, <laughs> you know, stuff to send. So yeah, yeah. it's kind of feeds your desire to shop, to give, to, you know. And so everybody has an area in their life that they're passionate, like a group of people or maybe it's animals or the environment mm-hmm. or whatever. And you just have to find out what your, your passion is and then, you know, whether it's you can give of your money or your time, or your intellect, or your mm-hmm. training, or maybe hire someone from the church that has is low income, that maybe is underemployed to, you know, s- rake your lawn. Yeah. We hire our kids out, you yeah. know, and to work for people. Yeah. And just look at what you can do with, you know, what you have. Because yeah. everyone has something that they can give. I loved that story when you were telling, when we were doing our prep, I thought, oh, wow, you do the ex- you did the exact same thing in both seasons of your life. That's such a great story. Well, it was interesting because, um, you know, when we had the twins, Carmen had, was in bed rest. So before the twins were born, she was, she was, she couldn't work. So it's been 16 years of Carmen being at home with the kids, raising the kids right. and watching over the kids. Not and working, right? No, no, no. De- no, no. <laughs> we all know that's not uh, what he yeah, meant. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so, no, so for us to have a single income has been a lot, but she's been she's always found ways to help us to make money yeah. and then also to teach the kids. And we, we homeschool for six years, so, you know, it's... It's possible to do it on one income. You just have to be resourceful. I mean, some people do need two incomes, but, you know, it's amazing what you can do. You just have to have your expectations lower. You don't have to have the newest. You don't have to have all the technology. And, you know, it just, you know, put people first. And, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate you guys being here. I'd love to pray for you. I don't think it's a secret that you're moving, is it? No, it's not. It's like on Facebook. Everybody's seen it. Okay, so uh, <laughs> Carmen and Steve are, are uh, getting their house ready to go on the market, and they're moving to uh, Medicine Hat. Um, so uh, we're going to pray for them. I invite you to pray with me. Um, Father, I am so grateful for Steve and Carmen uh, and for the way that, uh, that they 
they give constantly to our community, to our community, our congregation. Um, I know they do that for me <laughs> in my life. Uh, and I'm grateful for knowing their family for these couple of years when our paths have gotten to cross and, uh, and we could be friends. Um, I pray that your Holy Spirit would bless them. We pray that you would bless them with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and that you would go ahead of them um, and provide beyond their expectations as you have so many times before. So we, we pray for the right buyer for their house and their land. Uh, we pray for the right home for them in Medicine Hat. Uh, we know that you've, you've already provided the right schools for their kids. Uh, we pray for a church and community to come around them and for an increased opportunity in their life to be generous and bless their community. Would you continue to surround them with your, with your love and your creativity, uphold them and bless them? We pray all of those things in your name. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Let me get my stuff out of your way. Work. Okay. Hmm. In uh, John chapter 3, the Bible says, this is the, the word is judgment, but it's like reckoning or decision. Okay, so this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. I wonder how often we feel uncomfortable when we're talking about money. Sometimes just because we're not used to it, but sometimes because we know that something is out of order in our financial lives. And we don't want that thing to be exposed. We don't want that to come into the light. I want to call us to bring our money into the light so that we can be in good standing with God and also so that we can start demonstrating our faith through our finances. As we leave today, I want to suggest some practical application for us. Um, first of all, if, if our, when our finances are out of order, so this, I'll include myself in this, uh, when our finances are out of order, it tends to be in one of two ways. Um, either you're spending too much. Can you guys put that next slide up? Yeah, there we go. Or um, you're either overspending, which means you're living beyond your means. You might be accruing debt. Or you're hoarding, which means you're, you're um, saving or stockpiling more than you reasonably need or you're not giving consistently or sacrificially. And I just want to point out that it is, of course, possible if you're very gifted to be doing both of these at the same time. Um, yeah. <laughs> now, no matter which way you lean, uh, the first thing we need to do is talk about it. We just need to start breaking silence. Find someone you trust. Find someone you respect who will tell you the truth, give you some good feedback, and talk about it. Get some solid financial advice. You might want to sign up and do the Financial Peace University that a group did here at the church uh, last year. You can do that on your own, even if we're not running the course. The second thing is, take some action. Right? It, that might mean making a budget for the first time. Um, 
getting some debt paid off, getting spending under control, getting the giving back in order. Traditionally, Christians have committed 10% of their income to God's work, whether that's to the church directly or to missionary endeavors. Um, It's called tithing because it's the giving of a tenth back to God. But depending on your situation, that might be impossible. Like there's no way to to give away 10% of your income. That's, That's fine. And depending on your situation, that might be way too small an ask. 10% might seem like nothing. But consider it. Consider how you want to give. Decide about it and then lean into that with generosity and joy. Is it ever fun to decide where am I going to give my money this year? What is God drawing my attention towards? And then finally, Be creative about generosity. You really might want to sign up for this global 6K for water. Lucas is already at the booth at the back. (laughs) If you can't do the walk, you might want to consider sponsoring, sponsoring someone else or paying someone else's entry fee. You might want to think about Carmen's example. I loved this example of either doing a clothing swap or buying out a whole rack of clothes to be able to give away. Consider hiring someone local who needs the work when you need work done. Consider Dan's example of purchasing a property for the sake of providing stable housing to someone who couldn't get it otherwise. What are the needs around you? What are the things that God brings into your life and asks you to pay attention to? How could you meet them? It is easy for us to live like everyone else. But we are being invited to live lives that are extraordinary, that go way beyond ordinary as we follow Jesus. So let's lean into this challenge from James to use our money well for the sake of God's work. And then let's trust him to do more with that than we could ever ask or imagine. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll invite you back to the coffee hour. Okay, let's pray together. Father, would you bless us as we go from here today? You know everybody's situation, everybody's financial needs. We pray that you would inspire us, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us. Literally bring your spirit into us and give us courage to look at this and say, right, how do I want to submit my finances more and more fully to Jesus. We pray for creativity among our congregation. We pray for generosity. We pray that you would eliminate favoritism among us and that you would make us people who demonstrate our faith by the way we use our money. We pray all of those things in your name. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning, and we look forward to seeing you for coffee.